Guessing Out Loud, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol Rovers reporter Jack Vittles. Yeah, welcome along to Guessing Out Loud, myself, Michelle Owen and Jack Vittles. Uh, Jack, later on we'll be talking about, I think, the oldest Rovers fan that you've come across. Such a nice story in the Post this week. Also, we talked about the state of uh, the mem, the pitch last time on the podcast and something's come to light about that so we're talking about that as well but let's start with your trip up to Blackpool at the weekend along with a number of Bristol Rovers fans but it ultimately ended goalless what are your, your thoughts on that one? Yeah it was, a, it was a long old way to go for what was a pretty scrappy and horrible game to be honest it was sort of the first half was deathly dull it was a struggle to find anything to write about and then the second half things got a little bit better there were a few chances for Rovers but nothing Nothing really concrete, but yeah, the fans were really the talking point up there. More than I think it was more than eleven hundred Rovers fans up there in a crowd of apparently four thousand. I'm not sure it was quite that many. It didn't look that many. The whole stand on the side where where myself and other members of the press were sat was completely closed. Um, both ends were pretty empty. It was a very very bizarre atmosphere. But Rovers, you know, credit to the fans. It made it feel like a home game, and it's probably all things told not a bad point. Mm. But it was just, uh, yeah, not one for the uh, for the neutral at all. Yeah, well, they're right next to each other on the table, aren't they? But that's a bit weird. So Blackpool, obviously, it's a big ground, but is, are they still just not going because of the way it's being run up there and things like that? Yeah, as far as I know, I had a little chat with um, the reporter of the Blackpool Gazette up there, and he said, yeah, it's basically still in protest of the Oysters, the owners. There's some possibility of them selling up and moving on, but at the moment, they're still owning the club. And weirdly as well within sort of 10 minutes of the final whistle on Saturday their chief executive I think it was just just resigned walked out um, despite having been at the game on the Saturday um, and he's since been replaced by a member of the Oyston family so you know I don't think that's going to bring fans back but it was a very bizarre atmosphere and it makes you appreciate I was just saying does that not make everyone feel better (laughs) you know it makes makes you appreciate the situation at Rovers how good the fans are and the fact that you know I know the Mem's not the biggest ground in the world but at least it's 80-90% full most weekends yeah and the atmosphere is always really decent I mean god that must be weird for the players did you ask them about that at all like what it's like to play in that sort of situation or did they give you any sort of insight I don't know who you chatted to post-match yeah so we spoke to Joe Partington after the game and he sort of mentioned the fact that it was bizarre playing in such an empty stadium but the fact that you could really hear the Rovers fans and really hear them obviously all their Rovers chants and things singing Goodnight Irene it sort of spurred them on and he said he felt in the second half they were almost pulling the ball into the net trying to suck the ball into the goal um, for Rovers they're attacking that end in the second half but it was a yeah, bizarre one to, to sit in an empty stand and watch and, and I think a bit of a weird one for the players to play in. Yeah, well, it's a point nonetheless, isn't it? But looking at the table, as we always do at this point, it's uh, it's more, you've got to be looking over your shoulder rather than looking forward now, haven't you? I know we talk about this, it has been every week because there have been the classic mid-table, but when you look at the table, Bristol Rovers 17th ahead of this weekend's game, uh, which is only four points above the drop zone so it's actually unhealthier than when we last spoke isn't it yeah it's a bit of a weird one they're, you know, they're unbeaten in four but it's the teams around them yeah three of those are draws as well so it, does, it doesn't help overly but uh, yeah they're only I think four points off the bottom four they're still in a relegation scrap really it, mm. it doesn't look dire at all and they still you know they're massive odds on to stay up obviously but at the moment they are still in there battling with teams that are down there and Bradford this weekend is going to be a, a real test. I know they're not in great form, but they're still up there in, in the playoffs. You thought, though, that sort of two-week break between the New Year's Day game against Portsmouth, which was a great win, you think that would have benefited him, but benefited the team. But how did they sort of look when they went out against Blackpool? Did they look fresh, or was it more the sort of the situation? I mean, what's the pitch like up there? Yeah, the pitch isn't good. The pitch isn't... I mean, it's, it's still better than the men, but it isn't good. Um... 
looks all right in terms of fitness. They look pretty fresh, as they should do after a 12-day break, but the quality was missing. They were a little bit scrappy and, you know, whisper it quietly. I think they missed Bowden as well. Yeah, and what has been done to sort of rectify that situation in the midfield? Yeah, so they, they've also got the new signing in, Bernard Mensah from Aldershot, um, who comes very highly rated, but obviously sort of unproven at, at League One level. He was on the bench on Saturday, uh, didn't make it on. Um, and Rovers went sort of with a diamond in midfield and played all of their, you know, what you would call central midfielders. So they played Lines, Clark, uh, Circum and Sinclair, all four of them. And then brought on uh, Nichols and Telford sort of to play out wide uh, to try and stretch the game at the end. So they're sort of, it's a bit of a stopgap at the moment, I think. And hopefully when Mensa gets up to speed, maybe he'll get a few starts. And also, I know Daryl's looking for another winger as well. Yeah, so. any word on, on the winger situation? Because it's something we've talked about so much this season. and something that's definitely needed very yeah, soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking to Daryl after the game, the winger seems to be his top priority or another winger after Mensa. Um, and... Well, he basically confirmed to me exactly what we've been saying for about six weeks now. He's looking for a winger, defensive midfielder and a centre-back. So, fingers crossed, what we now, over halfway through January, a couple of weeks left in the transfer yeah, window. Got, I mean, he's got, it's two weeks today, deadline day, so he's got two weeks to sort it out. It's not much time. Yeah, it? it isn't a lot of time. And, you know, they've got games every Saturday as well, but he said he's got a lot of loans on the back burner. He gets thrown a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rubbish loans during this window, but I think... <laughs> He said that in the summer as well, you know, they're, they're sort of two a penny loan moves, you can get hundreds of them, but I think he's very keen to, to sign permanently, perhaps with a view to next season as well, with this season being a bit of a, a bit of a middling season, so we'll just have to, have to wait and see, it's all pretty quiet on the transfer front, but then it was until Mensa came in as well, so. Hmm. And in terms of outgoings, any updates on that? No, nothing particularly. There's um, There's been sort of interest in some of Rovers' players, um, I've spoken to Daryl about that. But the good news is it's players that are under contract, players that have got lengthy contracts at Rovers. So obviously Rovers are in a really good position to turn down big bids because it's not really an issue if they're under contract. And also they've signed up, you know, Tom Broadbent. Tom yeah, that was Lockyer. good about Tom, Tom Broadbent because obviously we, we didn't know he was sort of a... Um, didn't know what to expect from him at the start of the season because he was from the army, hadn't played professionally, but he's done pretty well, hasn't he, and deserves that, that yeah. new deal. No, definitely. He's, he's really impressed, you know, being a complete unknown. And, and Daryl said that he was in on peanuts and it was real peanuts for a professional really? footballer. Do we know sort of roughly what? No, I don't. I, I mean, probably, I wouldn't know off the top of my head, maybe 500 quid a week, something like no that. No way. Maybe, yeah, I don't think so. Really not a lot. So he's obviously... He was sort of almost like a trial contract, I suppose, a short-term deal. Yeah. He's proven he can do it at League One level. He's got his he's got his pay rise now, um, and Daryl was very pleased to get him signed on because, you know, if he was on really poor money at Rovers, peanuts, as Daryl kept, you know, describing it, other clubs would have come sniffing because mm. he is a talent, um, and with a bit more training, you think he'll come really good. So they got him signed up. Lockyer signed an extension as well, the captain, That's good, which is yeah. good news. So. Not a huge amount of movement, but at least they're retaining those players to try and avoid, uh, you know, another Bowden situation. Yeah, I mean, that's the last thing that they need now, isn't it? Two weeks left in the transfer window. The worst thing that can happen is sort of someone to go out on the 30th and then they'll be left short. But you don't see that happening, no, really, because they're I, not really a selling club. As, as no, such, I, don't, I don't think so. The Bowden one was inevitable and um, it happened early, um, for better or worse. But no, I wouldn't have thought any of the main players will be uh, will be on their way out of Rovers at all this month, all under contracts and Rovers on a a good position by all accounts to turn down those bids yeah that's good news uh, so we talked a lot about the state of the pitch last time and said obviously repeatedly it's not the grounds people's fault you know we can see how hard they were we only see before and after games what they're doing to the pitch to try and uh, make it as playable and as higher quality as possible but it transpires that it's going to have to be relayed again in summer not forgetting that it was only relayed uh, six months ago 
Yeah, not a, not a good situation, is it? There was a you know a six-figure sum spent on the pitch in the summer to to bring it up to a better standard. Um, that looked dodgy at the start of the season. I think um, came on to sort of social media and told fans, you know, it'll be fine. Let it bed in. It'll be fine. It looked okay for a bit, and then obviously when the cold weather set in, it's just been dreadful. Um, it's looked really bad, and like you say, the grounds, the groundsman and his team do a really good job in trying to manage that pitch, and they've, they've worked hard for the last six weeks. But we've now heard from the, the head groundsman, um, Daryl Sullivan, and he's come out and said what everybody sort of understands, really, that basically the renovation wasn't managed properly, is what he said. It was a poor, poor job. Um, and basically, reading between the lines, it sounds as though between the previous groundsman leaving and him arriving, nobody really oversaw that project. And so it's all sort of not worked out how it should have done. And we're now out of the growing season, apparently I'm no expert. <laughs> but then that, that apparently means that obviously there's big issues with the pitch and it's almost unresolvable for this season. It's just a case of... But how can that happen that you spend six figures on relaying a pitch? You know, you look at, uh, for example, Newport County. Now, I know the Welsh Rugby Union paid for that, but that's like a deso pitch and they've got the mixture of the turf and everything. And that's holding up okay this season. It's a decent playing surface, especially for League Two. But how can they put all that money into relaying a pitch? You think drainage solutions and everything else that goes with it, like you, I'm not an expert on seeding grass, but how can that be allowed to happen at a professional football club? Yeah, it's sort of... It seems to be bad organisation, doesn't it? That's that's what I got reading between the lines, listening to the groundsman. He was frustrated uh, with the state of the pitch when he came in. and he, he said that he walked across the pitch when he first got the job and he went and told the chairman, there are, there will be issues here. He just knew straight off. Yeah, there was, you know, something had gone wrong in the summer to do with the sand and the, the types of sand they've used, too many types, so you can't use the right products on it and things like that. So it, it sort of... Bad management is, is, is the problem, isn't it? Management of the project itself, I think. Mm. And obviously, we haven't heard from the contractors who were brought in to do the pitch, and we don't know how much blame lays with them as well. Mm. So we know Arcadi's put in around 12 million, and that includes on facilities and things. And obviously, he put the money in for that pitch in summer. If they are going to be doing more work again to the pitch, relaying it once more, does that not perhaps open the door to do a little bit more to the stadium. I mean, if there's work going on anyway, you may as well do a load of other stuff. I, d- I know that sounds maybe a little bit naive, but we know he's got the money. Yeah, perhaps. And it's it's a frustrating one, isn't it, with the stadium development? Where, you know, how much will they do in the summer? What they do? They've made a, a few announcements about it, and it's very cosmetic at the moment, what will be done in the summer. Um, I would be very surprised if anything substantial was done on the stadium itself in the summer, just from the point of view as they've always mentioned it will take a lot of time to regroup and plan and organise and all those you know, sort of buzzwords about before we actually stick a spade in the ground. Well, looking ahead, uh, fixtures-wise, Bradford at the weekend at home. Now, Bradford have had a few injuries of late, haven't they? So this could be quite good timing to play uh, a very decent League One side. Yeah, they're, they're a bit of a funny side. So, you know, they're a good side. They beat Rovers 3-1 up there and, and dominated them and that on, on a TV game as well. Mm. Um but they're not in the greatest of form. They lost at the weekend. Yeah. Um, and Charlie White, the striker who scored a hat-trick against Rovers back in September, he's likely to still be missing, according to Stuart McCall. There's been a bit of a bit of speculation in Yorkshire that he may not actually be properly injured and he might sort of be angling for a move, etc. Oh, really? But, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. Um, I can just take McCall at his word, which is that he is injured. With a, I think it's a back injury. Um, also, their, their left-back, Tony McMahon, has been linked with a move to Scunthorpe. So whether he'll still be here on Saturday... We don't know, but it it feels like a decent time to play them, um, but they are a very good side for League One. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fifth and they're definite promotion contenders. They're not even that far off the automatics, given that sort of Shrewsbury and Wigan were running away with it a few weeks ago. Uh, how is Daryl Clark going to 
go into this game, do you think, given that he still doesn't have two really first-team out-and-out wingers? No, exactly. I think it'll be um, it'll be an interesting one. He could quite easily go with an unchanged side, which would be quite un-Darryl Clarkish, but he could do that. He could go with the full central midfielders again and play Harrison and Gaffney up front. I wouldn't mind... See Immensa in action, seeing him given a go out wide. Why, did he not, why didn't he play at the weekend? Uh, he basically said he didn't have time to bed in. So he only joined on Thursday. Mm-hmm. He had one brief training session on Friday. Rovers went up early to Blackpool, trained at Preston's ground. Um, funnily enough, they have bumped into Blackpool. The irony of Billy Bowden being Yeah. There. Um, <laughs> so they trained there Friday, just sort of a light fitness session. And that was all he'd had with his new teammates. So I think, you know, away from home, dodgy pitch, pretty scrappy game. Not really the right moment to introduce your new young flying winger, is it? Yeah. So. Hopefully we'll see him on Saturday. I'm sure, I'm sure we will, whether that's from the bench or something. Have, have you had a chance to speak to him yet? No, not yet. Hopefully speak to him at the weekend. Um, but I've spoken to reporters at Aldershot who have spoken to him. He's, he's sort of life and soul of the party, apparently. A, oh, bit, really? of a bit of an Ellis Harrison tile, sort of style character. So, no, I'm looking forward to it. He seems like a, you know, like a nice young lad. And from his, from his messages on Twitter to the Aldershot fans as well, he seems to be, uh, yeah, have a good relationship with fans. And where was he before Aldershot, do you know? Yeah, he was a Watford youth player mm-hmm. um, and played, I think he played once or twice for them in the Championship before they got promoted that season. Um, so he's got good pedigree, played in Watford youth and then um, dropped down to Aldershot and played there for the last 18 months or so and got a good goal-scoring record for somebody that isn't an, uh, an out-and-out striker. Yeah, that's good. And then the weekend after, I mean, at least they've got good gaps between the games at the moment, no cup competitions to worry about, I suppose. Uh, another week until the Doncaster game. With these weeks in between, a lot of clubs don't have the luxury of, of that at the moment, you know, especially, I mean, I know we're talking about like higher levels, Championship, Premier League, we know what their fixture congestion is like, but for some other clubs left in the cup competitions, they've been playing more regularly. These weeks between, they need to capitalise and make the most of these, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are, there are very few positives about being out of all three cups already, but... That is one of them, isn't it? They get a free week between every game. I think there's only two Tuesday games scheduled at the moment. They're both at home as well. So the fixtures are quite kind in their scheduling, if not the teams they're playing. So you'd hope that in these these week gaps they've got, they can work on the training pitch. And I think you're already seeing some evidence of that. You know, They've only conceded like, three goals in the last five games mm-hmm. before they were letting goals in for fun. So there is some evidence there that they're working on the training pitch on their defensive shape and, and organisation and it's coming to fruition on the pitch they need to work on their goal scoring too don't they because yeah. goals are in short supply yeah a little bit it's been sort of quiet at both ends hasn't it the last few games which is fine away from home against good sides you'll take nil nil, won't you but I think at home people expect a bit more um and it was those two late goals against Portsmouth that got them out of jail on you, New Year's Day. Do you think that Derek Clark could bring in another striker? Because they're not been um, pro- prolific this season. Yeah, it, 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 I think it would be interesting if they could bring in another striker. It would it certainly add another dimension to their attack. But I think those three positions that I've mentioned, winger, defensive midfielder, def- central defender, are much higher priority. I think if you get another winger in, you can almost go 4-4-2 then. And I think if you get and two decent supply, wingers in, you? Yeah. yeah, people like Harrison and Gaffney will score goals. Yeah. Yeah, and the Doncaster game the week after. Um, I mean, at the moment, just two points between them, but a fair few places because it's so tight. Uh, that's got to be a, a huge game, at least to take a point away from if they want to start climbing and stop looking behind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've got to beat the teams around them. They've gone three unbeaten away from home. Doncaster, they're a decent side. Um, obviously, 
Darren Ferguson's in a bit of hot water at the moment for his comments about referees as well. I can't believe what he said. Yeah, it didn't go down well, did it? It was a, it was a, a stupid comment. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to say what was said? Well, yeah, he basically, he basically came out and criticised the referee for not giving him a penalty, fine. And then came That's out... That's what he said after. Yeah, and then came out and criticised the standard of refereeing in League One. Again, fine, agree with him. Um, and then he was basically asked by the local reporter out there, you know, what, what should happen to these referees? And he said, shoot them. It's terrible, isn't it? It's it's a terribly judged comment. It's like what what was going through his mind at that point to say that? And like, I mean, I don't know if you've how many times have you done him? I, I've I've interviewed him a few times. Post-match. Yeah, I've spoken to him twice. Yeah. Um, but what at what point does he think it's a good idea to come out with those words? I mean, he's going to be in big trouble for that. You'd think from the FA, even if it was tongue in cheek. Yeah, that's what he said, isn't it? He's come out and apologised and said it's tongue in cheek. It was just a very silly comment. And the the annoying thing is from a sort of. A fan's perspective, some of the stuff he said beforehand was actually quite right. Some of the standard refereeing in League One isn't yeah, good yeah. enough, but he's just completely undermined it all with a stupid, crass comment, and he's made himself look an idiot. It'd be very surprised if he was on the touchline that weekend, wouldn't we? He's probably going to face yeah, a touchline ban or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know what the disciplinary is for it. Um, well, if you look at Arsene Wenger, he got banned for three games in the Premier League for comments that weren't quite so severe. No, um, no. He only said, was it disgrace or something? Yeah, before, right? yeah. yeah. And you think that you know, Ferguson's going to have to serve some sort of ban. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. And um, But like I said, the annoying thing is he raised some good points. And, and but he ruined point. it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's completely undermined everything yeah. he said. Yeah, and uh, I want to finish by talking about a lady you went to see. Uh, how old was she, 103? 103, This is yes. Kitty, right? Yeah, Kitty Thorne, Bristol Rovers fan. Uh, she turned 103 on the 2nd of January this year. A lot of Rovers fans... Um, know her anyway just from around the ground she's been watching Rovers since 1954 um, her first game was uh, Leeds versus Rovers I think Rovers won 5-1 um, yes and I went to speak to her um, she's in remarkable health for 103 years old amazing um, she was yeah, sat there sipping away at a cup of tea chatting away watching TV um, you know walking with just a, a walking stick uh, she was absolutely fine um, but yeah, really remarkable lady, and you know she's followed Rovers. I, you know, I couldn't even calculate how many games she's seen for them. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, a remarkable life as well. She was evacuated in the war and uh, made Spitfires during World War Two. So a really, uh, a really interesting lady and a real sort of Rovers stalwart. And uh, yeah, something to look out for the ground when you go there. And what were her thoughts on the season so far? Yeah, she she sort of said it was it was okay. She's a big fan of Daryl Clark, Aww. Uh, who's her twenty sixth manager since he's been wow. following Rovers. Yeah, so she's a big fan of Daryl Clark. She met him when she turned a hundred, and he was very nice to her. So she's she's, she's a fan of Daryl Clark. She's got a soft spot for him. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think she thinks they're doing okay, um, but she's not too keen on uh, how Bristol City are doing, that's for sure. Yeah, well, she wouldn't be if she's been a Rovers fan for that long, I suppose. And just looking ahead now, before the next uh, podcast, we'll be back in a fortnight's time. In a fortnight, you know, coming away, there's only two games between now and then. I'd say if four points would be a fantastic return, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Bradford in a little bit of disarray with injuries and things like that and transfer sagas and then a point against Doncaster would be okay, wouldn't it? Is that the best case scenario? Best case scenario is six points, but is that realistic? Yeah, I think realistically four points would be a really good return. Bradford at home, you've got a target. Like you say, they're a little bit weakened. They're a little bit on the ropes with their form as well. Rovers are in, in reasonable form and at home they're good. They're still good at home. So you've got to target that for a win and then a point at Doncaster. You know, the points on the road look good if you get in the home wins, don't they? There's nothing wrong with getting draws away from home. So, yeah, four points would be good and it just means they can start looking towards the top half of the table as opposed to uh, yeah, looking down at that bottom four. Yeah, checking over their shoulders, right? Fingers crossed. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. Thanks for listening. Gassing out loud.